This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 587, Terry Poole, outfielder for the Houston Astros. Why are we talking about Terry today? I've recently been catching up on old episodes of the Two Strike Noise podcast. And on the Two Strike Noise podcast, they play the Wax Pack Heroes game. They open packs of cards. And every time Terry Poole's name comes up, co-host Mark refers to him as Terry Swimming Poole. And he always says this, and I always chuckle. It's a Chris Berman nickname, but I also had no idea anything about Terry Poole. It turns out he is pretty good. I remember looking at this card, and it's a very, we'll get into it, but it's a very nondescript card. Terry has a Saber bio by David Skelton, and it turns out that he is only our third Astros player, and the second and perhaps, listeners correct me if I'm wrong, the last Canadian player in the set. So we're recording this just a couple days past July 1st, so a very happy Canada Day to our Canadian listeners. All right. Sounds like a great reason to jump in to the pool, and let's go to the front of 587. We see Terry Poole in the deep blue Astros shirt with white pants and orange belt, orange stripe down the side, and that deep blue long sleeve shirt with the white Astros and white Astros star and a blue hat. I think a pretty good looking uniform. Uh, The tequila sunrise is, you know, certainly my favorite, but this is a strong contender. But I think the real, there's two highlights of this card, two things that your eyes are automatically drawn to aside from the uniform. One is the mitt that Terry is pointing directly at you the kid who's got this card in his hand, he's got his, his mid out, like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. But then the other thing is the real pretty ugly face he's making. We're just kind of sneering. or Maybe he smelled something kind of bad. It's like, throw me the ball. He also has some good, maybe a little bit of hockey hair going on in the back oh, there. Yeah. A little bit. A little Barry, Mel- little Barry Melrose. <laughs> That's a, a Saskatchewan haircut there. I like this Astros hat, and I like this Astros hat so much that I've thought about buying one. But in recent years, wearing an Astros hat is like a, that's a statement that I don't want to defend. Mm. (laughs) But I do like this Astros hat. I like the off-centered star on the Astros jersey. Those pants, I think that in the off-season, those pants were worn by Vinny Testaverde for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're straight out of Tecmo Bowl, those pants. What position was Terry playing in this? It looks like he's waiting for a throw at first base. Maybe he's a pitcher waiting for a throw on the mound. But from the scene, it doesn't make sense that he would be a first baseman waiting for a throw at first because the the background is all wrong. That that is also something about this picture, David, that the background looks like it's an impressionistic painting. Like he's been dropped into a scene... By Manet or Monet, one of the two. I don't remember which is which. Yes. Water lilies in a Florida park. (laughs) (laughs) But if he's an outfielder, he's playing way too far away from the wall. It's just a very strange setup. Really hard. In the same way, we couldn't tell if John Waffen was a manager or 
a, a, still a catcher, who knows what position Terry Poole is playing. And when we get into his background, maybe that's some, an explanation for it. So a, a work of art this card is. We're just not sure which genre, but let's go to the back. Of 587, you have Terry Poole, outfielder, height 6'2", weight 200, left-handed batter and right-handed thrower, signed by the Astros 1973 as a free agent, born July 8th, so happy birthday coming up, Terry Poole, 1956, in Melville, Saskatchewan, with a home in Missouri City, Texas. Melville, Saskatchewan. This is sort of like Mike Trout, the Millville Meteor. We call Terry the Melville Meteor or the the Melville Mountie. Mm. Along with Terry Swimming Pool, I don't know if he had any other nicknames, but Melville, pretty small town in East Central Saskatchewan, about 4,500 people. It's a railway hub on the Transcontinental Railway. The city was named for Charles Melville Hayes, who at the time of the settlement's founding in the early 1900s was the president of the Grand Trunk Railway and Grand Trunk Pacific Railway. Hayes was on the Titanic when it sank. He didn't get off and he perished aboard the ship. The town is home of the Melville Millionaires, both hockey and baseball teams. And the hockey team plays in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. And the baseball team plays in the Western Canadian Baseball League. Famous Melvillians include Hockey Hall of Famer Sid Abel, Goalie and name I remember, Tim Sheveldey, and curler Mike Woloshik, who curled for Australia but was born in Melville. According to a 1979 Ottawa Citizen article, Terry's parents were of Austro-Hungarian heritage, and 1994 World Cup final referee was Hungarian Sandor Pool. So a couple famous pools other than Terry. If young Terry wasn't at church or piano lessons, he was in the gym or on the baseball field practicing. In high school, he was a multi-sport athlete playing baseball, volleyball, track, and football. And he became a local legend by 1973 when he led his local team to a Canadian national championship, not as an outfielder, but as a pitcher. And he was named the most outstanding pitcher in Canada, or MOP, the MOP. And he was scouted as early as 15 by the Reds and had a tryout with the Expos. But Terry said that they didn't give him a fair chance. And so he would never go play in Montreal. But in September of 1973, Astro scout Wayne Morgan shows up to town. Wayne Morgan was also from Saskatchewan. He had watched Terry and knew that he was more than just a pitcher. Terry hit 575 in that national championship run. But Wayne also said that he didn't like Terry as a pitcher. He said, I didn't like his delivery, lack of velocity, and overall mechanics. So he wanted to switch him to the outfield. Terry had pitched so many innings in the tournament that he could barely throw the ball from the outfield to third base. Wayne told him, I'll come back in a couple weeks, like, rest your arm. I want to see you throw. Luckily, when he came back, Terry was able to throw the ball to third base with pretty good accuracy and the Astros, Wayne Morgans, offered him an astronomical signing bonus <laughs> of $1,000 to sign. $1,000 US dollars? So that is... I think it was US dollars. I think he also got a new glove and a pair of spikes that were thrown in by the scout because management told Morgan, 
we have no money to sign this guy. <laughs> so they couldn't even afford to give him the spikes, but he got $1,000 plus $500 in living expenses. I looked it up. $1,000 is 6500 in today's dollars. So not great. <laughs> no. I mean, it's uh, enough to pay a, uh, some amount of rent <laughs> when you when you get to your new place. Terry was still in high school. He had a semester left of high school. This contract and this $1,000 offer required both of his parents' signatures. And Terry's mother refused to sign it. She wanted him to finish school. Wayne Morgan leaves town with the contract unsigned. But as soon as Terry's mom left the room, Terry forged his mom's signature and sent it in. It showed up in the mailbox and Terry was an astro. By the time he got around to leaving for spring training, his mom was okay with the signing. He had, she had been convinced. But as he got on the plane, she gave him a parting gift of an address book and phone book with all of his friends and relatives' names and numbers in it back in Saskatchewan. He was 17 years old. He had never been on a plane. And he said he was scared out of his mind and so lonely that if he had had the chance, he would have turned the plane around. But when he realized that wasn't an option, he promised himself that he wouldn't come back a failure. What a scary moment for a 17-year-old kid. But he started out making good on that promise. He hit 284 in his first year at Covington and Rookie League. A helpful teammate introduced him to chewing tobacco, which so, you know, that's a good way to not feel lonely. You have a have a new hobby. It seems like a you want to be a ball player, right, kid? kind of situation. So Terry took the chaw to his hotel and the room started spinning and he threw up. <laughs> so good introduction to adulthood and some of its vices. That story, I thought, well, maybe that meant that he then didn't chew tobacco anymore. But by that 1979 Ottawa Citizen article, he was regularly chewing tobacco. So the initial vomit induction didn't, didn't do it for him. <laughs> so in rookie league, he played outfield. This is the first time that he was regularly playing that position after being a pitcher most of high school. And he only made two errors that first year. After the season, he went back to Melville to finish high school. So good job, Terry. Then he got promoted to A-level at Dubuque. And that's where we get our fun fact on the card that, that Terry was ranked second in the Midwest League with a 332 average in 1975 a really great fun fact for a card that was the 1988 season. Along with that fun fact, that 332 average, he stole 30 bases. He made the Midwest League All-Star team as an 18-year-old. He ends up getting promoted to Double A to start 1976. Mid-season gets promoted to Triple A. It took him until the middle of his third season to hit his first home run as a pro, a grand slam for Columbus shortly before that promotion. He got his second home run that year at AAA, another Grand Slam at Memphis. He's still only 20 years old going into 1977. The Astros thought that they wouldn't need him at the big league level. They had their outfield managed. But Poole hit 305 at AAA, and the Astros were 10 games under 500 in July. Pretty disappointing. In midseason at Charleston, Terry said his parents drove from Melville to Charleston, West Virginia, a 2,600-mile drive. They watched him play a game, and he hit a home run. After the game, he gets called into the manager's office, and they tell him he's going to Houston. Sorry, Mom and Dad, you get there. Terry's got to go as soon as <laughs> that same day. 
he's got to go to Houston, hops in his car and drives from West Virginia to Houston, Texas. Maybe a little bit of disappointment for mom and dad, but their kids go into the show, so it couldn't have lasted too long. The Astros were disappointed with their left field options, so they decided to give the 21-year-old Terry a, a shot. And in Houston, Terry continued his strong play. He hit 301 in 60 games that first season, played decent defense, and the Astros also turned their season around to finish at 500. In 1978, Terry was established in the lineup and had a great year. He was the leadoff hitter most of that season and had a 10-game hitting streak in April and an 18-game hitting streak in May. That brought his average up to 335, so well over 300 at the All-Star break, and he was named to the All-Star team. Unfortunately, although he got a great welcome from Willie Stargell, he didn't get to play in the All-Star game. And that would end up being his one All-Star team appearance. He never, unfortunately, made an All-Star game appearance. He cooled off for the rest of the season, finishing at 289, but he also ended up with 32 steals. So a lot of speed, a very good hitter at the top of the lineup. And this was an Astros team that depended on manufacturing runs more than power. And Terry fit into that, hitting only three home runs that season. 1979, the Astros won 89 games, and Terry was a big part of that. He played in a career-high 157 games, hit 287, and stole another 30 bases. And he hit eight home runs, which was good for second on the Astros lineup. The team leader, Jose Cruz, had only nine home runs. It's really just a running and on-base team, not a power team. Terry went this whole season without an error, which is pretty impressive. The Astros were in first place as late as September 9th, but finished September under 500 and out of the playoffs. In 1980, the Astros finally make the playoffs for the first time in their history, and Terry had the best season of his career. He was valued at 6.2 war for the season, the highest value on the Astros, and sixth highest among National League position players. He had 282 with 27 steals, but a big power surge, 13 home runs, which was a career high for him. And he had another good defensive season, was worth 18 fielding runs, which was first in the National League among... To get to the playoffs, the Astros had to win a play-in game over the Dodgers, and they won 7-1. to one. Terry scored the first run in that game, and they ended up making the NLCS. We discussed this 1980 NLCS between the Astros and the Phillies before in the Danny Heap episode with Mark Simon. This was an amazing series, four extra inning games in a five-game series. So really exciting, down-to-the-wire stuff. Terry made a pinch hit appearance in the ninth inning of a game one loss, and he got out. After that, in the last four games, he had 10 hits, which was a record. He hit 526 for the series. When he broke that record and made it to first base, Pete Rose was on first base, and Pete Rose held the record that he just broke. Pete told Terry records were made to be broken, something Pete Rose knew all too well. The Astros, unfortunately, would lose in five games, but a 526 average is just ridiculous. Terry really made his mark on that NLCS. 1981 was a strike season, and combined with some injuries, it was a pretty disappointing season for Terry. He hit only 199 in his last 99 at-bats and finished the year at 251, which broke up his string of 280-plus seasons. One note, though, he did have a great play to save Nolan Ryan's fifth no-hitter, 
which we have a YouTube clip of. And the Astros made the playoffs again, even though it was a down year for Terry. But this time around, Terry wasn't able to replicate his crazy stats from the year before. He hit only 191 against the Dodgers in the loss in the National League Division Series. After that season, there were trade rumors. The Astros tried to trade Terry to Pittsburgh for Tony Pena. They tried to get Dave Parker. There were a lot of names that came up, and Terry Poole was at this point, still only 24 years old, so still a really young player and had a high ceiling. But he stuck around Houston. And unfortunately, 1982 was a rough season. The Astros fell under 500, fired manager Bill Verdon. Terry was only 25 and would play until 1991. But this was the last time that he would finish a season with 500 or more at-bats. While he missed time to injury over the next two seasons, he did hit 292 and 301 in 1983 and 84. Then in 1985, he had four separate trips to the disabled list, but managed to hit 284 in 57 games. One of those trips to the DL, he was activated on June 28th and injured himself running the bases after only five innings. It's, it's rough. It's sad. <laughs> He said that offseason that he was going to be busy training, going to the gym, because he had taken the whole season off. Unfortunately, all of the working out in the offseason didn't really help. He injured his ankle in spring training, ended up mostly used as a pinch hitter in 1986, and that included three pinch hit appearances in the NLCS. He went two for three and had a stolen base and actually raised that ridiculous 526 career NLCS average with this performance. So a really good NLCS performer. But again, the Astros lost that series to the Mets, but it did get them a spot in RBI baseball. And inexplicably, Terry Poole is in RBI baseball. <laughs> I got through way too much of the research for this episode before realizing that Terry Poole was in RBI baseball. Brian is off living his best life somewhere. So we're going to need to bring him back to talk about Terry Poole if I remember correctly, the Astros stink. So when we'll come back, <laughs> when we come back to this team, we'll see if Terry Poole is the reason why. Yeah, I have a hunch that is uh, a contributing factor. We get to the 1987 line, and that's the last line on this card. And this looks like the end of the line for Terry. More injuries that would continue into 1988. He only hit 230 in 1987, and he seemed like the odd man out in the Astros outfield. Until June of 1988, when the Astros' other outfielders started slumping, and Terry got on a run. He ends up hitting 481 over his next 25 games starting in June of 1988. He stayed relatively healthy, finished the year with a 303 average and 22 steals, which was really good considering his leg and lower body injury history. That was the fourth most steals that season among, among players with fewer than 300 at-bats. There were some more trade rumors in the offseason, but Terry wasn't sent away. He was expected to back up Kevin Bass, but then Kevin Bass got injured going into the 1989 season, and Terry ended up staying relatively healthy and having over 400 at-bats, getting regular playing time again, hitting 271, which seems like Terry Poole territory, and he played good defense, but we are getting to the end of the road for Terry. Yeah, 1990, the injuries pop up again. He was limited to only 37 games and was released at the end of that season, having spent his entire 14-year career as an Astro. He signed with the Mets after the 1990 season, but didn't make the roster. 
then signed with the Royals and was released after only 18 at-bats. So closing the book on Terry Poole, 15 seasons in the majors with a 280 lifetime average in over 1,500 games, career OPS plus of 112 and 212 stolen bases, and surprisingly, eighth all-time among National League outfielders in fielding percentage, a career 993. So how about in retirement? Terry retired to Houston, where he had a stockbroker's license and was an investment manager. He has been married to his wife, Jackie, for 40 plus years. They had three kids, daughter Naomi, son Stephen, and Curtis. Stephen played baseball at St. Edwards University in Austin as a catcher. He was drafted and, like dad, converted from that position. He ended up pitching two seasons in the minors. Terry managed the Canadian national team during the 2008 Olympic qualifying campaign, and he made a couple big moves that got attention in a game against Panama. He pinch hit for a player who was four for four, and the pinch hitter hit a home run. Then in the bottom of the ninth inning, with the bases loaded, Terry pinch hit for that pinch hitter. And that now third player in that position hit a grand slam to win the game. So really shrewd (laughs) management moves by Terry, and Canada qualified for the Olympics under Terry's management. In 2008, Terry was named head coach of the University of Houston Victoria Jaguars. He remains head coach at the UHV and has led the team to three conference titles, two trips to the NAIA National Championship Tournament, and he also remains a financial advisor. Well, that is... Quite a combination, you know, as an ongoing career for Terry. That's pretty impressive. David, this is a player that I didn't really remember, but now that we've dug into him a little bit more, what do we think? Same. I recognize this card as a common that I would have pulled, that I would have pooled. Oh, (laughs) I would have looked at it and been like, "Uh, what is this? What is this guy? But part of that was that he was so far removed from his peak. From 1978 to 1980, Terry was worth 13.3 wins above replacement over those three seasons. So four and a half wins per season. That was 13th best among all outfielders. He was the spark plug at the top of the Astros lineup. Didn't really have a lot of power, had some speed early on, but by 1987-88, it seemed like he was done. But early in his career, he was a good player on those three teams that made the playoffs, those first three Astros playoff teams. So for a lot of Astros fans, he holds a special place for them. He also holds a special place for Canadian baseball fans. He is elected into the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame in 1994, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in 1995, the Texas Baseball Hall of Fame in 2006, and next month, August 22, Terry will join the Astros Hall of Fame, which, considering this is a guy who we didn't really know about, he was a, a really important part of this Astros team and this Astros franchise early in the franchise's lifespan. He remains in the top 10 in many categories offensively, including games played at bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, steals. He only had one season over 150 games played, but he was really a memorable player for Astros fans. And in those early years when the Astros were putting together winning records, he was one of their best players and Folks in Houston remember that. But maybe more so than the fans in Houston, the fans in Melville never forgot Terry. 
Recently, friend of the show, Adam Dorowski on Twitter suggested that we were saving all of the boring players for the end. <laughs> and as I was going through just... Terry Poole, I thought, wait a minute, did we find the boring player? <laughs> but I think that Terry Poole was an important player, particularly for Canadian baseball fans. And that Ottawa Citizen article from 1979 was really eye-opening. And not just Canadian baseball fans, but fans in Saskatchewan and kind of the more remote regions outside of the cities, outside of the, the your big cities. This is a guy from Saskatchewan. Almost all of the famous people from his town were connected with hockey, not necessarily a baseball city. But in that 1979 article, they talk about basically the Terry Poole economy that had built up. This whole town just getting behind their guy. The local sporting goods store said they had sold 15 Astros jerseys in two weeks. The local paper said their distribution was up 10% because people wanted to read just about Terry in the sports section. He had a weekly piece that was just Terry pool coverage. Terry's parents kept autographed pictures at home for fans who would come knock on their door. So if you showed up at Mr. and Mrs. Pool, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Pool, could I have a Terry Pool autograph? This meant <laughs> so much to people in this small town that the bar owners talked about having Astros games on and how their business would go up because people would just come in to talk sports and to talk baseball. It was a huge deal and probably was a huge deal for kids in other small towns. We talk about representation on this podcast, whether it's gender or racial or, or otherwise, but this is like seeing a guy who is successful from your hometown. It's one thing if you're from Chicago or Brooklyn. It's another thing if you're from Melville, Saskatchewan. And Terry really probably opened the eyes of kids. And it looks like it created this kind of Terry pool mania with kids trying to find Terry pool cards and baseball card packs. He was the big man in town. The article talks about him making $62,000 per year and how he, quote, knows the feel of the finest clothing against his skin. People stole pieces of chrome off of his car when he parked it at a local hockey game. He was so big time. And that love for Terry Poole continued until his retirement. And Melville had Terry Poole Day, June 27, 1992. His hometown still loved him. Even just a few years ago, they renamed a street after him leading into a regional park. Among Canadian players, he remains in the top 10 in offensive categories like games, hits, double steals, and he's eighth all-time with 28.3 career wins above replacement. So, you know, I, I, I caught Terry Poole mania this week. In celebration of, of Canada Day, here's to you, Terry Poole. That pool mania is contagious. I've got it now too, David. I hope all of you at home have it as well. So thank you for that story. Thank you to David Skelton for the Sabre bio. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever forged your mom's signature to get out of going to high school altogether, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot. and We'll see you next week.